Hi there, I'm Dan Hilton, frontman for indie rock band Southern Resident Killer Whales. And I am Josh Dye with the Convened Training and Resilience Community, and welcome to Timberwolves Tip to Tap, the only podcast in the world featuring the world-class Minnesota craft beer scene and the, Dan, world-class Timberwolves. Right. Whoa. So this is the first episode we've had in a long time. Our last one was pre-playoffs. And everything went pretty much as hoped for and predicted. Uh, you know how I wanted them to lose in round one to stay on course. And so they that wanted, happened. They but lost up exactly series. how you wanted them to lose, Dan. <laughs> Maybe not the historic collapses, but other than that, it was pretty solid. Um, and it's pretty it's, – I think it's fine that we haven't done any podcasts in the meantime because anything we would have said then would be now obsolete. <laughs> so now we can – Oh, yeah. Well, I do want to relitigate one thing, Dan, or just mm. revisit one thing for a moment. And that is to bring people up to speed in the your desire. You didn't want the Wolves to have an Atlanta Hawks type of run where they make the conference finals and then. Well, I mean, the the, making the conference finals would have been pretty fun. I do want to be clear about that. But I did think that there was a danger. You do that without truly the bedrock of development and all that. And you have an Atlanta Hawks collapse or, you know, what happened with the Knicks. And I kind of like the idea of giving the team a taste, wet the appetite, let them put up a competitive first round series, fall short, and then come back hungrier with more experience next year and put a few pieces, a few pieces around. And that was going to be, and that's something maybe we can discuss later, but I just want you to think about it. It's if we had made a deep playoff run, mm-hmm. do we make the trade for Rudy Gobert? Yeah, if we make it past Memphis, if Brandon Clark doesn't kill us on the offensive <laughs> glass, do we make the trade for Rudy Gobert? I don't know. Well, it's a, it's, so it, it's a, it, it lends some credence to your what this team needed to aw. do in order to remain competitive long term despite my disgust with your uh, loser mentality. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and in fairness, we're not taking the step of development. I was really, you know, the whole, my whole take was about kind of, you know, the, the building piece by piece. And we did just possibly skip a couple of steps or a couple of rounds of the playoffs, but that's all right. If your bedrock is solid and we will get to that. Speaking of solid, Dan, let's talk about what we're drinking or what we've been drinking lately. I'll go first here. I've been drinking the Modest Wasteland. Modest, that brewery located in the North Loop of the Minneapolis neighborhood. It's an American IPA, 7.5% ABV, a rye IPA brewed with malted rye, uh, red malt, or red X malt, red crystal Mm -hmm. rye, hopped and double dry hopped with Columbus Cryo and Centennial hops. Uh, Pretty good. I've, I've been enjoying that one. Since I bought it. What have you been drinking? You've always been a modest guy. I mean, I, I'm not saying that like as a pun, but like <laughs> you've always been into modest brewing. Yeah. I do like modest stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so well, the only solid thing I've been drinking is the ice cubes in the margaritas I've been making. I've been making a few of those of late. Um, however, on the beer side, um, I've kind of been keeping my fridge stock this summer with uh, Sweet Child of Vine from Fulton. It's one of the local breweries that offers, and it's probably going to now with the new sort of free the growler laws and all that, we're going to see more hopefully like this. But um, one of the few 
uh, microbreweries locally where you can get a 12 pack of IPAs at a reasonable sort of sub fifteen ninety nine price. So that's been kind of a go-to. Um, I did make a trip to Udipoles over this past weekend. Um, I was redeeming a coupon I got from my older daughter, Lucy, uh, to go out, to take me out for a drink after uh, a trail run at Theater Worth. And so it was great sitting on the Adirondack chairs over Bassett Creek and Went with the when you're Udipoles, you uh, even though you might be an IPA guy, you got to go with the European beer style. So I went with there, a, yeah. right a half of ice and and uh, a German Pilsner, and they were both just just hit the spot on a nice humid afternoon outdoors. So excellent, yeah. So Dan, today people are expecting we... a bunch of Grudy Gobert talk, but yeah, and we'll get there. But we have a very special ceremony today and i would like to turn this ceremony over to you we would like to honor andrew wiggins have an induction ceremony for andrew wiggins dan uh take it away okay well so yeah as you mentioned very special episode here we're going to induct andrew wiggins in as the first honored member of the uh fuck that guy timberwolves hall of fame (laughs) And maybe actually, Josh, I will toss back to you for just give us the origin story on Fuck That Guy. Yes. Uh, and this, the origin story might be a bit controversial, Dan, but I oh, remember. Glorious. Yeah. So you and I, we were attending the Timberwolves versus Utah Jazz, uh, maybe the year, a year or two after Ricky Rubio uh, went to the Jazz. And we we're we were and are huge Ricky Rubio fans. He was our favorite player on the Timberwolves. Love him as an individual. Love him as an individual. Love him as a player. And yet he always had that Achilles heel of he just kept bricking so many wide open three-point shots here with the Timberwolves. So you and I, we splurge on some tickets. We go to the game. We're excited because we get to see Rubio play for the Jazz. But obviously we're cheering for the Wolves but we wish Ricky well. And this is a game where Ricky makes like seven threes and the jazz beat the wolves on the back of Ricky Rubio's shooting. And And he's like draining his fifth three. And Josh turns to me and in all earnest sincerity is like, you know, Dan, fuck this guy. (laughs) It was just so beautiful. It's like, doesn't mean that you hate the guy. It just like, Really? Yes. <laughs> really? That's really kind of what it's about. Yeah. And so since that time, we have applied the FTG, F that guy label to a handful of Timberwolves or other individuals who in the moment are irritating us. And so, but we've never actually create. nobody had ever reached the level of being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Right. And so... Andrew Wiggins, I got him right here. Shake your hand, you know, congratulations. And let's you think Andrew Wiggins has a weak handshake. Does he? <laughs> it depends. Is this the playoffs? Hmm. So let's just talk about the credentials behind this, uh, this honor. So it's kind of textbook, right? In that you leave and you win a championship. That doesn't hurt. <laughs> but the circumstances. So 
for me, it's a very personal, it's a very personal story in that, you know, I, I've been following the, the team since the nineties, but he, I gave the t- many of the best years of my Timberwolves fandom life to teams that he was on. And in those years, and I think it's pretty indisputable. He generally did not give effort. He generally sucked on D and he happily took a max contract while always sort of, you know, casually defending. He's like, I think I'm a great defender and such like, and ever since he's come into the league, he's been rewarded and affirmed for every choice he's ever made. Dick around and don't try for like five. Hey, get a max contract. (laughs) Hey, get traded to a contender. Hey, make an all-star team. From his perspective as one who in a basketball sense may not be tremendously introspective. He's like, ah, I've done no wrong. Every choice I've made in the NBA, I'm simply being rewarded for. And in the meantime, he left behind him this wake of disarray. He may have squandered or really sabotaged Cat's development. He certainly played into the whole Jimmy fiasco with Jimmy finding that the collection of players that he found when he came to Minnesota was not what he expected. And, and through a series of coaches and different schemes, Andrew Wiggins failed to ever care enough to change as a player. He did a little bit, a little bit of growth maybe in his time here, but that's all in the background. And the thing that for me kind of put it over the top is after leaving, there was sort of this counter narrative, this pressure of like, you know, you know, I just feel great for Andrew Wiggins or much worse. You have to feel good for the guy. (laughs) No, no, don't put that on me. No, you know, or even going so far as to suggest that it is wrong to feel anything, but like love and, you know, great adulation for the guy. So, what I think is particularly galling with the whole thing is that as he elevated his game in the playoffs, it seemed to be universally considered to be further cause for esteem. Like, look, see what you miss, see what this guy is capable of. And the thing that drives me nuts is like, we always knew he was capable of that. I remember random runs of two or three games where he'd score 40 points or as as he would famously elevate his game when the Cavaliers came to town. We knew he was capable. The whole point was that (laughs) he was being rewarded with a max contract and had teammates and a fan base that relied on him. And that was not enough of a reason to care when he was here. Sometimes you would have a reason to care. We really couldn't always figure out exactly what that reason was, but then he got traded to a team that was in contention. Let's not kid ourselves here because of Steph Curry and pretty mm-hmm. much solely because of Steph Curry and then makes the playoffs. And then it's like, Oh, you know what? This is a reason to care. And we're supposed to celebrate that. It's like, no, no, we knew there was a guy who was capable of playing well in spurts. And apparently the playoffs is enough motivation to sustain the spurts. And I would say to anyone, everyone can fan the way they want. And if you want to celebrate that, you may. But from my perspective, and I think our perspective, you know, fuck that guy. <laughs> so there you have it. Dan, I can't think of a better speech to induct somebody into 
the F that guy Hall of Fame. For and, and is it worth Bowl. mentioning maybe like this is purely totally in fun. We're like not sitting there, you know, stamping our feet and making fists and like perpetually like bitter over this. This is like, oh, if Andrew Wiggins comes up and you see a thing about Andrew Wiggins, it's like, ah, geez, that guy. Yeah. And, so and it's, yeah, it's just, it's in all. Just lies truth. And <laughs> lies a lot of truth in, in this case. Uh, yeah, but that and this this Andrew Wiggins resume now of rookie of the year. Oh yeah, I forgot contract, that. All star <laughs> and now oh. NBA champion. <laughs> he he might be on pace for another Hall of Fame, but let's not get into that. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> and by some like weird twist, they invite me to give the <laughs> the speech. Look out. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for carrying that, Dan. Uh, I think it's time to get into a little bit of unfinished business, though. Mm-hmm. Just looking. And then I think this helps with context in terms of the Gobert trade and where we're at moving forward in terms of looking at what happened in, in the playoffs. And now that the dust has settled and the emotions have been able to uh, kind of die down a little bit and we can look at this with clearer eyes and more open hearts in terms of what we have as a team moving forward. Why don't you grade out uh, a bit just casually, I guess you could say uh, the performance in the playoffs for the team and some individual players. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm monopolizing this, this pod so far. Well, okay. So I'll just say briefly, let's start at the top with cat. I think he acquitted himself pretty well in the playoffs. I think what's intriguing, especially, and we'll definitely get into this, the Gobert edition is going to mitigate a couple of these concerns, but I think, you know, exposed a bit for the foul trouble and for, you know, frankly, what happens with, you know, the double teams and just the, the idea that you could sort of scheme. So you can scheme to mitigate cat with the right personnel. Um, especially throwing, you know, a, a, a bevy of, of smaller fours at him. Um, but he played tremendous defense and he did, I think generally with the exception of the, of the fouls come up pretty big in this. I, I don't think he had anything to hang his head about, but I think that it, his performance made evident uh, what the team needed to try to address in the off season. Yeah, to best support him because there were those lows of like, wow, Cat's not even getting shots off. He's not scoring. And there was like this moment of crisis. But then he did bounce back with that huge game. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seemed to resolve itself a bit. And yet, yet sort of left some gaping holes that needed to be filled if we were really going to take uh, the next level. And so speaking of the next level... Uh, looking at Ant's performance as a 20-year-old in the playoffs, and where do we think that – well, A, what do we think about that? And B, like what step – I'm curious about, like what do you want to see from Ant next year building off of a really solid playoff performance overall, especially given such a young player? Yeah, I think I think we everyone watching had got this really gratifying, hopeful sense that Ant is kind of made for that 
moment made for that stage. Um, I think that what I would want, and this is kind of a 50,000 foot level, but we know about his growth as a defender. We know about his growth as a, uh, sh- you know, shooting percentage wise. And it's kind of, you, you know, those, uh, what, what do we call them? The boomlets, the mm-hmm. ant boomlets where you're watching a game and somewhere like two minutes into the fourth quarter lasting for about five minutes, he scores like 15 points. Yeah. And sort of, and, and, and getting to that level where he either can deliver that sort of pressure. And I, I realize there's other things going on in the flow of the game. You know, it's not going to be like 15 points every four minutes for an entire 40 minutes, but the idea that he can put a little more constant pressure on the rim and, and in terms of like decision-making and how he's going to, you know, be, and I think some of it is still right. Just really figuring out, it's like, Hey, I got these two other guys, my seniors on the team who want to shoot or should be shooting in crunch time and Ant kind of finding his place there. But I think, and you know, I, I think he's under the right tutelage of, of, Finch under this, but helping him develop some of that decision-making about when and how to take over a game or to sort of keep a constant pressure going. Uh, But I I love the experience that he got. And then I love the fact that presumably he's going to get a lot more reps in the playoffs in these next four years. Uh, What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I think I, I can't really disagree with that. And I don't think there's anything to actually meaningfully add to your assessment of Ant. I will say having attended a couple of those games live and game six, where he really came out and was like, I'm winning this game. Mm, or I will mm-hmm. be the man in this game. And it didn't turn out in terms of a win the way that we wanted. But for him to come out the way that he did and show that he is made for the moment is uh you know, it'll be very fascinating to see, I think, over the course of the next two years, really, what happens in the cat-ant dynamic. And I mean this in an optimistic way, mm-hmm. but where ant can intentionally take over more games rather than opportunistically take over more games. Yeah, that's, I, that's, that's, that's a nice way. At. That's a nice way to articulate what I was yeah, that, that ant could get into that place where he makes the choice at the beginning of any given game. Am I going to get the other guys involved or am I going to come out strong or, uh, but that like he can essentially just control a game at his will and watching sort of cat settling into playing along uh, side somebody who can do that and mm-hmm. not feeling the pressure to force it. I think there's a world where, Ant rises a bit and then Gobert helps uh, solve hopefully some of the foul trouble that Cat has. That Cat doesn't have to press anymore. And instead, he can still be likely the best player on the team. But it just becomes a lot easier for him to, to do it. Um, so that's sort of where I'm at is I just want to see Ant now intentionally take over games more so than opportunistically take them over and observe how Cat settles into that complementary role, not saying that he's less or that he's even second, but how he complements that. Yeah. It's actually wild how Ant is kind of getting sidelined in the Gobert-Cat discussion. Like, you know, it's about, will these two work? And even like national conversation about it and kind of forgetting it's like, 
you know, forget about Anthony Edwards at your peril. Right. Well, and it's fascinating, you know, when you think about Utah, for example, that, you know, they had Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and, uh, you know, as like their top two guys. And then you just sort of imagine that like you've got <laughs> Gobert and Anthony Edwards, which is, mm -hmm. you know, he's somewhat comparable to Donovan Mitchell. And then adding Cat to that. Yeah. Right. Like, which <laughs> is, which is nuts. Like imagine if Cat was on Utah. Yeah. Right. Like without them giving up their core, like if one fun way to like evaluate that trade in a way is like, what if you just put Cat on Utah? They just had to give up a handful of role players, but they had Gobert, Mitchell, Cat, plus some of their other like core. Yeah. That team would be like terrifying, right? So <laughs> really in, in a way, you know, it's like we might be terrifying, but before we get into that, you know, Dan, we've always been a pro D low podcast. Yeah. Uh, and the playoffs have really required us to do some soul searching in that uh, because what is, there was all of this drama since the playoffs around a huge contingent of people thinking we should just trade D And I think a, a quiet number of us, me included, that's like, I can see uh, the reason people want to trade D mm -hmm. But I also think that we are not seeing the full picture of what he actually brought. And so what are your right. thoughts on, well, D coming out of the playoffs and moving forward, but also our, our future as a pro Delo podcast. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and we remain, you know, we remained a pro Delo podcast at the start of the, this past season when he looked like aliens had taken over his brain for the first like two or three weeks and then remain a pro Delo podcast. And suddenly everybody was on board, like sort of approaching the all-star break. And then he didn't finish the season uh, particularly strong, but you know, the Hilton's second law of takes is if your take cannot survive a week of seeming evidence to the contrary, it's a shit take. <laughs> so the question is if you're really big into Delo around the all-star break after six years body of work and what you had seen this season is fit on the team. And then he has the playoffs and you're like, the guy's a bum. You know, you need to think about how you analyze basketball. That said, what I was would always say is like, we're getting data points. We're getting data points. We need more data points. And part of that is like, okay, what happens in the playoffs? And what do we learn about a player? And I think that a weird thing about D'Lo right now is he might actually be undervalued at this point. Uh, most people seem to have no memories when they do basketball takes, but easy to forget what he did in the Clippers game to get us into round one. We're not in round one without D'Lo and a guy that's capable of doing what he did in that game. And then as far as Memphis, sometimes you just have a bad matchup and hear me out. Memphis was a very, very bad matchup for D'Lo in the playoffs. Uh, you know, really elite players find a way to rarely have a bad matchup, or if they have a bad matchup, they find a way to counter it in the next game. Memphis was definitely a problem for D'Lo and he just couldn't solve it. Just like, by the way, the Wolves were a problem for Jaron Jackson Jr. And he couldn't solve it. 
And, you know, is, is he a bum? Is he, you know, like worthless on that team? No, but he could not solve the Wolves in that series. doesn't mean that either of them suddenly turned into not the player that they were for the rest of the year. They both had great years and they both really helped their team. Uh, D'Lo was a huge part of our team's success last year. And I sort of think an under the radar D'Lo this next year could really do some special things. So we're not going to run away from the fact that he had a bad series. And he was, I think the data points that we got in the playoffs, you know, he was exposed as a kind of player you can scheme out of a game or take out of a game with a really fierce lockdown defender like Dylan Brooks. That is undeniable. It is really unfortunate, isn't it? That Malik Beasley chose to shit the bed in the same series that could admit, you know, if he had been, if, if Beasley had hit, like 40% of his three pointers on high volume in that series. I wonder how things might've opened up for D'Lo, how things might've changed a bit. Um, But anyway, I would just say to summarize, sorry to break it to a few people. We are still a pro D'Lo podcast, but with the caveat, you know, you could be pro Jared Vanderbilt, but that doesn't mean that you think he's an all-star or a player without flaws. We don't see D'Lo as an all-star level talent. He's just a, a, well, and Josh may not agree. I, I'm seeing a, a quizzical look. Uh, well, Josh is no push back there. I, I would say that I could see D'Lo as an all-star level talent, but not necessarily like elite level to me. There's like, Oh, that's an all-star player. Who's uh, like really good. And then there's like that next tier. And all-star is weird. Cause it's a popularity contest, but yeah, but, yeah, even but say, like the, the deserved. Um, you, so I would say that uh, I see D'Lo as a high level talent and maybe an all-star caliber player. Um, but I don't think he is the one who, uh, if he if D'Lo makes or breaks your team's success, your team's not good enough. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah, I, I think when, when I would think in all-star level talent, I'm sort of thinking top couple at your position in your yeah, conference. Yeah, and that's probably fair. And I would say he's not, you know, well, he, he's definitely not in the top two point guards in the in the Western Conference. And as you say, like if D'Lo is the guy that you most need, to, if he's your number one, you're going nowhere. You're really bad. If he's your number two, you're not going anywhere. But if he's your number three, maybe now you're number four. Well, you know, now let's talk. Yeah. And so, and and as far as being pro D'Lo, it's like he's just a he's just a cool, cool dude, and he yeah. has an offensive aesthetic that when it's when he's on, he is super fun to watch. And so, I'm intrigued about him being on the team this next season. I've been really concerned about what whether a what sort of D'Lo we see if he's not extended and give it because like he can definitely take offense he has that within his attributes mm-hmm. and if he's not extended in a way that he feels like gives him the respect he earned last year what sort of player we're seeing I do think that there's a chance the whole go bear thing changes that dynamic maybe he's like oh I get it keep me around here let me show you what I can do because he doesn't need to put up a good showing this next year because then then somebody needs to pay him. Yeah. And you may remember my argument around D'Lo after the playoffs was that 
I think we need to keep him on the team. I don't want to trade him. I think he did a lot of great things, but I also think he needs to prove himself before getting a contract extension. And so I personally would take the risk. I know you've like had pushback about like, oh, just imagine a discontented D-low, which is a very fair concern. But I I'm st- was still like, nevertheless, if he's discontented, then okay, we'll you know ship him out or what or not uh, not resign him. But I wanted a let's just see what he has all the way through the playoffs and then make the decision there. I don't think we need to rush uh, signing him for. Re- I, I never thought we needed to rush signing him right after the playoffs, and I especially don't think that that's the case now. He can he can earn it, and I think we actually have enough depth at ball handling positions now. Actually, that if uh, if Delo's not it, we can still survive the season to be pretty competitive. Uh, but I have a feeling Delo might be really solid this year, just like he was really solid last year. Yeah, I I, I just will say that I think it's it's easy to say that you know, you know you know if if it was just like 2k or whatever, like, Oh yeah, don't sign him. Mm-hmm. I, I just, th- those dynamics, we don't, we don't know what's going on in these guys' minds. And like, I could imagine a scenario you're like, well, he still has to try because he's up for a contract. Yeah. But he could just start. I mean, D'Lo could come out and score 24 points a game and be terrible for the team. <laughs> you know? right. And so if we, if we ran back the team we had last year and D'Lo isn't like, fuck this organization mode, but I'm going to get mine and get a, and get paid because people overpay for points. You know, he could, he could sabotage and I'm not, not even that he would like be terrible to be around um, as a teammate, but I just think that that could go sideways in a bunch of ways. I, I think that risk is a is much minimized now. Yeah. But what I don't want to bog down too much, but one thing I want to put just up as a counterpoint to that is that, if we saw anything, we saw that Coach Finch mm. is not does not have a problem sitting you down. Yeah, if you are not doing what's best for the team, because in that game six at home, I was there in person, and that was the right you know, call. J Mac was playing so excellent, <laughs> yeah. and then they took him out and put Delo in, which sort of like even at the time it's like oh yeah, like everybody gets it. And then Dilo goes in and he was not nearly as good. And then that Finch had the guts to yeah. do that. I think is just such a fantastic thing that it's like, we're not going to put up with somebody who like, he wouldn't even be given the chance to be mm-hmm. bad for the team in that way uh, on an ongoing basis. Anyway, I think uh, Finch has enough uh, authority and guts to, and has proven that even at the, biggest stage that we've experienced in quite a while as a franchise. Yeah. He seems like he's the right coach to manage that situation. Even if, you know, even if things unexpectedly happen, but hopefully it never materializes. Right. So enough on D'Lo, we got to kind of bring ourselves up to speed on where we're at right now. And if somebody's like listening to this podcast a year now from now, like what just happened, Josh, yeah, just in short, Will, we had the NBA draft and we drafted a tall guy named Walker Kessler that we thought, hey. Yeah, okay, maybe- Walker Kessler breakdown. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we thought like, hey, maybe this is the tall guy who can block shots that can, you know, fill those gaps. And that was the the momentary thought of many Wolves fans, uh, a larger unknown to many of us, I think. 
Uh, but then shortly after the draft, the Timberwolves decided to trade Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, and four first-round picks to the Jazz in exchange for Rudy Gobert. Those mm. picks, though, it's not like we're sending the next four years of first-round picks to the Jazz. Right. We're sending unprotected firsts in 2023, 2025, and 2027. Uh, a swap in 26 and a top five protected in 2029. So those first round picks are spread out. So it's not I think they have to be, right? You can't trade first round picks in consecutive years. I think that's the case. But yeah, yeah. so they're they're spread out, a lot of picks. And so what was your, so we traded all those players and you could say like the ones that hurt the most uh, many, I think, are hurt by losing Patrick Beverly, sort of the emotional heart and soul of the team and a, a, a sound defender. Uh, I don't know. who Are you hurt more by losing Malik Beasley or Jared Vanderbilt, Dan? Or neither? <laughs> uh, I got to say, like, I think the reason Jared Vanderbilt was so beloved is he countered his – he's a, a very limited player – and he countered his limitations so spectacularly. Um, but I think Malik Beasley had a more valuable, difficult skill set to replace. But I, I think it's pretty close. Um, but Patrick Beverly, I, that does hurt. Like if if somehow there had been, you know, somehow he was on the team and we still had his perimeter point of attack. I think. I, and he was not, I mean, people talk about like four years down the line, Patrick Beverly's not probably not a shadow of himself four years from now, mm-hmm. given his injury history and, you know, his size and everything, but well, like size, like the degree to which he depends on speed. Um, but he's going to hurt us the most this next year. That Like, that's the thing point of attack defense and, and what happens there, I think is the thing that we're going to miss the most from that set of players. Right. So we traded those four picks plus those role players for Rudy Gobert, three-time defensive player of the year, perennial all-star often all NBA or in the conversation for all NBA. But when you, I want to know your first gut level reaction when you heard about this trade and you saw it, Within the first five minutes, your thoughts were what? To be completely truthful, and I think this is the trajectory a lot of Wolves fans had. I think mine was a lot faster when I first heard it. because it just I, I had heard a little bit of the rumors, and I hadn't intellectualized it or thought it through. I, I've had a made a career out of kind of hating Rudy Gobert because <laughs> the whole you know buying for Cad and the All NBA selection, and he's kind of. Uh, a pain to watch like on the court. He is just, he's been annoying to root against, which is often a great player to get on your, on your team. But my dislike for Rudy (laughs) colored this totally. And then I had been lobbying for miles Turner. And I think the second I heard it, my instant thought was like, Turner would have been so much cheaper and can also shoot and is maybe like the third or fourth best rim protector in the league. 
It's like, why did you not go with a much cheaper guy that can also space? And so instantly I was like, what? No. And I think within an hour or so of the trade, I was like all in on it as I thought about it. And I started thinking about how good and how impactful Gobert is. And I've only gotten more evidence kind of, and I think a big part of me getting there too is like understanding how smart Connolly and Finch are. And it is one of those, I know I have a, <laughs> my track record of, they know everything I know nothing. And there's some like egregious examples of like, me putting my faith wrongly, but currently I have a lot of faith in their understanding of what it takes. And like if Finch is confident, I mean, I don't know if you saw the press conference. There's a lot of people focusing on what Rudy said in his, in the introductory press conference. I, I, it was just Finch could not have been more unequivocal about like, I don't see a single problem with this fit. Like he's not, he's not giving himself an out. He is so confident this is going to work. It's like, I don't see a single problem. And so, yeah, I, I, I made a really fast ramp up from like being shocked and slightly annoyed to being like all in. How about you? Yeah, my my gut level reaction was that Gobert is awesome, but that is a way overpay. It just felt like mm-hmm. way overpay. But then I, I was talking on the phone with my friend Devin about the trade who called me really shortly thereafter. And we had just started to break it down on the phone of like, all right, what does the team look like now? You know, who's starting? It's like, man, that is a starting five that is to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. And then you even looking at the bench at that moment, which was like, okay, you know, the bench feels a little, a little light, but then you realize like, well, Nas Reed is still serviceable and he's. We were playing too many guys last year. Right. Yeah. You wanted like, to shorten was, the bench. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. And so we were looking at like, what is your top nine? You mm-hmm. know, like, who do you have? Like, cause if we're playing like 10 or 11 last year. And then when you look at that's like, well, you know, off the bench, you know, have Derek Anderson, which is a signing that uh, I think a number of people are somewhat excited. You mean, about. Kyle, you mean Kyle Anderson? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Kyle Anderson, slow-mo Kyle Anderson. Thank you. Uh, and so that, like having him and bringing Torian Prince back and Jalen Noel being able to uh, to score some points. Then you've got Nas Reed as some size. Uh, and we've recently added Bryn Forbes for shooting mm-hmm. uh, purposes. It's like this feels like something that could really work and work really well. Yeah, um, I, I actually – I, I think it's it's kind of interesting, and in spite of this, you know, like how is it going to fit? It's like I think the lineup is like cleaner. There was that issue mm-hmm. where we had like so many guys that were seeming deserving of playing time, but but all the while we would have one or two guys going in and out of the starting lineup who probably weren't NBA starters, you know. Yes. And and so it's like our our five or our four or five through. 12 were all deeply flawed players that had useful skill sets or were helpful, but like, were just had glaring flaws. I think it's There's this thing that we've talked about in the past about, all right. And I've tweeted about it some, but people are always like, they see the team has a need and they're like, 
oh, we don't have it. We don't get enough rebounding. Let's get, and then they'll just mention someone that we should get. And like, or, or like the reason everyone wanted Moose to start, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he needs to get playing time because we're getting pushed around. It's like, oh yeah, that won't introduce any problems, <laughs> you know? And so people always want to solve your team's problems by going out and getting these people that address a single weakness and introduce four new weaknesses. Like that's why these players are on the scrap heap. That's why they're not, you know, don't cost a lot. And it's like, you want a player that fits really well and addresses a ton of issues and doesn't create new ones. That's why you get an all NBA player. And I feel like, you know, we, we could sit there and piecemeal and get these little guys around the margins and try to patch stuff up. But I mean, when you put three all star, when they're less, you know, I mean, cats, or I mean, ants mm-hmm. likely going to be an all star. <laughs> when you get three all star level players on it, that's when your team really makes a jump. And it's like you could dick around and not do that and, you know, hope for the internal growth and add pieces around the margins and hope for a Memphis kind of run of last year. But I mean, this is the way you get a lot better, and so we're kind of we kind of just went into our hype it up excited yeah, well, segment, I, but yeah. And I want to share something that I am like really excited about with this team, but I'd like you to react to it. Mm-hmm. Is I feel like we got a lot better defensively mm-hmm. without getting really worse offensively, and. And what Gobert allows us to do defensively, when you think like Jaden is uh, already a sort of very (laughs) solid defender, the the leap that Ant took on individual defense last year, and if that progression continues, Cat showed where he is good defensively, and he can now almost exclusively be that without foul trouble. And then D'Lo can be his opportunistic defensive best and – have like the support that he needs to fill those gaps and that we kept like essentially our offense, our offense intact uh, is, is wild to me actually, when you think Mm -hmm. about what we were able to accomplish. I mean, people have said enough, like the Wolves didn't have to give up a single player from their core truly to bring in Rudy Gobert. And, but I like framing it more as like, we are going to take a big step defensively mm-hmm. without having to sacrifice much offense. Yeah. I, I, I think you could make the point that we lost a little in sort of spot up three. I mean, like Beasley, his three point shooting season, he set a record for Timberwolves yeah. uh, three pointers in a year. And it was, it wasn't not on the percentage that, you know, we maybe expected at the start of the year, but it was definitely there for, you know, from like January on. Um, and, and so I think there's a little bit of, especially given that Gobert introduces a little bit of a spacing concern, although I think he helps with that, like the screen setting in terms of freeing people up, his ability to rim run, you probably saw that stat about how the Wolves had a total of like four or five lob dunks last yeah. year. And Gobert had 87. And so like, yeah, kind of in that like D'Lo licking his chops, like Gobert's offensive rating is insane. Like having him on helps. 
Um, on the defensive end, I, I do think there is that, you know, missing them. But Beverly was not available for a lot of games, and that's usually the case. And I think we are hoping that, like, Cat still has the sort of energy and drive to do that, the job on the perimeter that he did last year. Is Vanderbilt quicker at getting out on perimeter? Is he a little more flexible in terms of getting out to the perimeter on defense than Gobert will be? And is that maybe a thing in terms of – I don't know if we'll even be trying to play because now you know we're maybe we're just playing drop defense or maybe mm-hmm. we're not trying to replicate the scramble, um, but no, it's 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 mostly just good. Like everything Vanderbilt did, Gobert does so much better. When think about how many times we just were not able to get a big defensive rebound last year, yeah, and like just solving that maybe you're just like solving that problem yeah, getting alone crushed on the glass could be tremendous as well i'm really excited about i i think there's a thing that's kind of missed too is you know how like offense is typically overrated relative to defense and so it's just nobody would be talking about fit if if we'd made the trade and brought in bradley beal maybe people would be saying it was an overpay but there'd mm. be all this excitement and everything and from my vantage, it's like one of the reasons he's such an ideal fit is with D'Lo, Ant, and Cat, you don't need another all-star that's taking shots because like a player like Beasley or, or uh, sorry, uh, Beal or anyone that's like really offensively minded, you're can't, at a certain point, you're just cannibalizing. You keep stacking offensive minded players on top of each other. You're just cannibalizing existing skill sets where Gobert is like, you've got three, I'll say D'Lo is an off, uh, uh, an all-star level offensive talent. Sure. And so you got these three all-star offensive talents. You don't need another offensive player that overlaps. Here you have this guy that like, it has an all NBA impact on the court, but doesn't demand the ball. That's like the perfect compliment to a team with D'Lo and, and Cat. So yeah, it's it's that's why we're excited about this. So let's pour some cold water on it. Where does it go wrong? Where could it go wrong? Well, from my vantage, I've, I've talked about the couple of things. Um, you know, you know the loss of Patrick Beverly and Be- Beasley, two definite specific skill sets. We know that you know Bryn Forbes can shoot the ball, and but he doesn't have the track record on the volume that Beasley does, you know, Beasley, like his whole deal is he can get the shot off fast and square up in like any situation. And just, you know, I I don't know what Bryn Forbes would do with a lot more shots, a lot more opportunity. He doesn't have that track record. And again, having a guard that you can specifically just sick on a, you know, a, a John Morant or whoever, you know, the, the sort of super speedy athletic explosive guard on the other team and just get in their head. Um, we lost that and that's, that's, that's going to hurt. So I, I don't think we should be freaking out about it, but that's a, a little bit of cold water. And then I do think the D'Lo contract situation is not resolved. And that's, I think that regardless of all our conversation earlier, I think that's the most important thing. Like, we have yet to learn this summer that we can anticipate in any way. Who do you think has the most to prove 
on the Timberwolves this next year? Because we're kind of in this state of euphoria at a moment. At the moment, euphoria is maybe going a little too far, but you get what I'm saying. There's yeah. like a lot it's of not for me. It's not. <laughs> uh, like who? Yeah, who has something to prove? D'Lo has something to prove. You could say. I think uh, Gobert and Cat both. So I think this is funny. We've talked about this forever, but Cat could have exactly the season he had last year in terms of like how he plays, his effectiveness, how good he is. He could have the season he had three years ago. And with the addition of Gobert, suddenly we're in the Western Conference Finals and the narrative would shift to like, okay, Cat finally figured it out and he grew up. That thing about how as soon as a player, like Booker, oh, Booker's suddenly a different player. He's like suddenly all NBA is like, no, he's kind of the player he's been, but he's got a much better team around him. And so people are kind of incapable of seeing that that's how it works. So in some ways, like you just need Cat to do what he does and not get hurt. The wins will come. The narrative will shift. But be that as it may, he's got a definite reputation that needs to mm-hmm. shift. And so I think he's got to feel like he has something to prove. And I think Gobert, I mean, he's hearing, in addition to all the shit he hears about, you know, not being able to advance Utah in the playoffs. And he's not, you know, all year he'll hear, even if they're having a great season, it's like, well, yeah, but he's no good in the playoffs. And so the fact that he's got that motivation going in, in addition to the Wolves getting like the D grade from Bleacher Report for the trade and pretty much every, right. No, we don't care. Yeah. Right. But, but I mean, it's not like he's not hearing that and it's not, not like that isn't motivation. You said, what do they have to prove? I think it's, yeah, well, and all of the comments around the Wolves overpaid and that yeah. kind of thing as well. That's, uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Do you think Ant has something to prove? Or is it he's just kind of like he's on the trajectory and so. Yeah, I think he's kind of, I think he's kind of driven by other forces. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know that he does feel like he has something to prove. I mean, he kind of does in that he's just the Wolves didn't get national TV games. Nobody's had a chance to see this spectacular, engaging, you know, player that we've got. But he, he doesn't s- seem to me like he's not one of those players that's like, I, I hear what you're saying or I've been watching all the haters. You know, he just doesn't seem like he that is what is motivating him, which is kind of refreshing. You know, Dan, I look at this, you made this chart on our podcast notes, and I'm just like staring at this Timberwolves starting five, you know, and I can't help but smile at just (laughs) how good that looks. But where do you think uh, people in uh, as Timberwolves fans are missing the point entirely? Or what are some of the blind spots that uh, we might have related to the Timberwolves potential in the West over this next year. I'll start with a very quick little aside that like, this is the crazy time. And this is why I like, I'll, I'll like just tune out NBA Twitter for stretches at times, because it's just, it's like, you feel like you want to respond to something. You're like, no, 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 no. It's just not worth it. But like, this is the point of the year where everybody starts talking about like, yeah, we should bring in Boogie Cousins <laughs> or like, yeah. Oh, I hear Eric Bledsoe is available. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> what are you doing? Stop this. Like, we have this team that like chemistry's looking good, got the locker room, we're filling apart. It's like this is not where you bring in 
former stars with, you know, <laughs> that path down that path lies madness. This is the point you have your all-stars. You're not looking to reclaim some other players, former glory. This, this is the point where you get role players that do multiple things reasonably well, that don't lose you games, that don't add drama to the locker room and you supplement solid character guys that are happy to come off the bench and contribute. That's what you want to do from this point on out. So let's let, let's talk, let's calm down with the boogie cousins talk, you know, let's calm down with a, well, I don't want to, I don't want to throw guys under the, I don't want to suggest people are bad, like lock yeah. or whatever, but it's just like, you yeah, know, that's not what we need right now. So that, that aside, we, I, I was seeing people it's like doing these predictions about where the wolves are going to finish next year. And I think we have such learned helplessness. Like if we were, if we were many other fan bases and we were looking at this roster, we would be a lot more confident in, in, in feeling at Liberty to say, Oh, this is like the, this is the Western conference favorite. Mm. <laughs> I, I, and I'm, I'm not, quite there yet. I've not really thought that that's what this exercise here today is about, but I saw someone like putting um, Denver as number one and in, in their projections. And I'm like, Denver, number one, really? Yeah. Jokic. One of the top, you know, maybe the top player in the NBA, one of the top five players in the NBA. It's like Jamal Murray, you know, He's good. He had a really good offensive season, but like, I think because he was on a team with Jokic, I, I think he and Michael Porter Jr. are a little overrated and like that team gets a little thin fast as we learned this last year. It's like really a Jokic Murray and MP, MPJ threesome is, is like a number one team. And I started thinking about our lineup. When I started thinking about everybody else's lineups and I started to think like when you go player for player, pound for pound, lineup by lineup to me, it's like, I I'm struggling to see teams that for any one reason or another are anyway, certainly head and shoulders above the wolves, but maybe mm-hmm. even ahead of the wolves at all. And so I made this little chart of like what I thought probably the projected starting lineups were as it currently stands. And I don't know if you want to kind of like, do anything here, like go through a couple teams and see what we're looking at. I, I I made some notes where there's players. There's a few players I said were like clearly better, I think, than probably anyone on on the Wolves roster right now. So like Denver Jokic is better than Gobert or Cat. Um, in the Clippers, you could argue that both Kwai, if he comes back, the player we think he can be, or Paul George may be better than anyone we got on the wolves mm-hmm. probably yeah, Curry, Curry, definitely State. and Luca. Mm-hmm. And other than that, you get into these players that are sort of on the tier with Gobert and cat. I think Devin Booker, I think that's being really generous to Devin Booker, but he's got a track record of them being like a really, really great team. And so whatever Devin Booker is doing is working. So I'm going to give him some credit here. And Chris Paul, when he's on, they're kind of in the, I think Gobert cat, level then then i think oh yeah go ahead no no keep going then i think you talk about like deandre ayton jamal murray ja morant that's kind of a tier below like 
Gobert and Cat, maybe in kind of Ant's level where Ant, we're projecting him this next year. Maybe Ant surpasses both Jamal Murray and Ja Morant. I, I think that's possibly reasonable. But, like, you get down there, and then your, your starters and these teams, like Golden State, like their top three is, what, Curry, Wiggins, Green, Curry, Wiggins, Clay. Clay is not the player he used to be. Clippers, it's Kawhi, Paul George, and, what, Reggie Jackson? <laughs> right. you know Dallas yeah. now I think Dallas is actually surprisingly deep so like they drop off quite a bit after Luca but they go like really above average NBA players for like their top seven or so but after Luca it's like okay Christian Wood Tim Hardaway Jr is that you know and and Luca really was able to you know team without that support was really able to push it but you kind of get where I'm going here like you know Memphis is like, who's their second best player? Jaron Jackson Jr., their third best player. What, Desmond Bain? Maybe Dylan Brooks? Yeah, it's like, I don't even know who Memphis's best player is, really. And that's Yeah, I know. And Jock is right. Feels like he was exposed a little bit in the playoffs last year. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so it's just like you go down all these teams, and I was like, we were starting freaking Cat, Rudy Gobert, and Ant with D'Lo as our fourth best player. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that if I were to – if Ant continues to progress and starts to do that more intentional takeover versus opportunistic takeover, the Wolves are a top three seed in the West. If he doesn't quite progress at that same level, we're probably still a top six, five to six team in the West, I would say, with – with this. And that is kind of like proves your point in that there really aren't starting fives that are dramatically better or more balanced than, than this team is. I think they do have to prove that they know what they're talking about with like the go bear cat thing. But, but yeah. if Finch knows what he's talking about and it like, it's, it's quote unquote working. I don't think there's any reason to be like a, you know, ashamed for like, oh, this might be a top team in the West. Like there's, there's not a reason why you can't. You know, you're, you're, you're not you're ridiculous for making the statement. You're not ridiculous right. for making that statement. You won't be, shouldn't be laughed out of the room with that, especially. You may be, but you shouldn't be. Yeah. But seeing as how Cat can basically on offense play from anywhere, I'm like not worried about them figuring out how to make Gobert work in that context. Yeah. And I just think defensively, this team might be like a lockdown defensive force. Not- I think it's entirely possible that we are going to be really hard to score against. I, I am thinking like, you know, in the past, there'd always be a team you'd be going up and against like, look out, you know, like these teams that strike fear into your heart because of a particular dominant player, uh, something a team can do that we just can't counter. And that's, you know, that's what I'm kind of excited about here is like, what's the team that has something where that like really strikes fear into your heart? You know, maybe it's just, you know, Curry being able to break free and shoot from anywhere. Everyone mm-hmm. should fear and, and Luca the same thing. But like, I, it just, I, I'm not. And then on, on top of all this, we're forgetting about, you know, the Spider-Man that is Jaden McDaniels and his mm-hmm. growth 
and what he means to this defense. And in terms of it, like if go bears going to clean up mistakes, you know, what's free safety Jaden McDaniels going to do, you know, move to the three. That, that's the other thing we haven't talked about is, you know, how much of the year last year was he, were we trying to have him like rim protecting and, and guarding guys that were bulkier and not really fully utilizing his skill set of covering space and blanketing smaller offensive players. You know, maybe, maybe Jaden McDaniels becomes your ball stopper. Maybe you throw him on the, the point of attack. Whoa. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not the coach, but maybe try that in practice. Yeah. You know, the, uh, I was, I'm just looking at the Wolves record last year in the standings in the West. And last year we were 46 and 36. And, and, and we faded a little there. Like we went like, I don't know. Well, anyway, go ahead. Sorry. And it feels like we could win games in the high mid to high fifties, right? That feels like uh You mean we'd win games fifty-five to forty-two? <laughs> <laughs> that we might have somewhere between like fifty-five plus yeah. wins, which this past year the Grizzlies went fifty-six and twenty-six and were the second seed in the West. Second uh, best record them. in the whole league, I think. Yeah, which feels attainable to me. Uh, for the Timberwolves this next year. Yeah. That are we, does this trade and some of the signings that we've made make us 10 wins better when you factor in improvement among other players? I think it's a reasonable, uh, a reasonable prediction. It's, it is reasonable. I think we must acknowledge that the Wolves caught some breaks last year in terms of health. And that's always the thing. It's like, you know, okay, Rudy, go always say like, well, if they don't play for any team, you know, and if you sign a player that's, you know, has an injury history, then that is should be part of your calculation, but it's not evidence that is the case with anyone we have on the squad. So. All right. I think it's that time, that time for, your Timberwolf power rankings. You want to give us number five? Sure. So I'm going with uh, Jaden McDaniels. Uh, kind of lost again in, in in sort of discussion over this trade other than the idea that it'll get brought up that the Wolves were unwilling to throw him in and are still excited about his development. But I think – you know, last year he kind of came out in into the season not with that immediate bump. I'd like to think that maybe it would be kind of cool if this year that was – I mean, that's, you know, whatever. Why would I believe that? But <laughs> they're putting a lot of attention into his development and to see him come in for year three in a more natural defensive position for him, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's good times for Jade McDaniels. Number four, uh, D'Lo. So also a lot of talk about the opportunities that this provides for him. Like one of the best rim runners in the league, a guy that, you know, thrives on lob dunks and maybe how it's going to make it a a little easier to hide D'Lo on the defensive end. Um, not that he's been discussed all that much, but just also in terms of it being kind of a, a, a good week for D'Lo. I got him at number four. And number three. 
Um, kind of following the trend, you know, not a lot of conversation about Anthony Edwards. Um, although I will say that in the time since the podcast, our last podcast came out, I think is when Hustle came out. <laughs> I still need to see that. Oh, really? It is really, really good. It's really yeah. wonderful. And Ant is, you know, predictably awesome in it. Yeah. Um, so between, you know, now the acclaim he's gotten for that and what this next year pretends for him with a lot more, I would guess, national TV games, you know, we're going to start seeing a lot more ESPN and um, maybe no ABC games yet, but some uh, ESPN and, and uh, TNT, TNT games. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's, he's going to thrive in that environment. He's going to, Gonna rise. We have evidence that the man will rise to the occasion. Number two. Well, Cat, who is uh, the one talked about most often in terms of benefiting and the fit and so on, and he seems over the moon. And plus, he just signed a super max, and so he de- declared his intention and wish to stay here. And so I'm glad he, I'm glad he got paid. All right, Dan, and not surprisingly, number one in the thermal power rankings because the power rankings are based on not necessarily who's your best player, but who has all the buzz, who's capturing the attention of Timberwolves fans and media. Dan, who is it? It's Rudy Gobert, Josh, whose approval rating in Minnesota went from 2 to 98 (laughs) in the span of 12 hours. Uh, Rudy Gobert, number one in this week's power rankings. Uh, Josh, is each time we do an episode, I was going to say each week, but it's hardly that. Um, we have a, offer a, a six man, and sometimes a man is not uh, an actual man or even a person, but a concept or an idea or something. Josh, what do you have to offer us as this episode's sixth man? I have a sixth, seventh, and eighth quote unquote man. What? And those are Gobert's three Defensive Player of the Year trophies. Ooh, nice. As the sixth, seventh, and eighth man uh, for this episode. I love it. Well, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. If you can think of anyone else who wants to join us for Timberwolf and Minnesota Craft Beer Talk, please let them know about us for Timberwolves Tip to Tap. I am Josh Dye. And I'm Dan Hilton, and that will do it for our 22nd episode of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. Follow our Twitter at Tip to Tap. You spell out the word too. And through that handle, I am a simple man. I talk mostly Timberwolves, general NBA, craft beer, and my dog, Murray. And we're always keeping it light and unserious. Uh, One additional note on that. It is a mostly light and unserious Twitter account. I have no interest in getting into long debate threads. If I post a take and you disagree, that's cool. If it's respectfully done, I'll generally acknowledge you and try to quickly exit the exchange. If you say something like, he sucks, or LOL, you dumb, or <laughs> LaMelo better, I will ignore and most likely mute mute, mute you. <laughs> I just don't want to like get into it. That's why I have a podcast. Like I want to talk about this stuff in long form. I don't want to like debate somebody all day on Twitter. Anyway, that's tip to tap on Twitter. If my musical career and getting more of my unfiltered worldview is what you're after, you can always check out my personal account at at Dan Hilton Music. Hopefully it doesn't take another two months for us to get you another episode. 
Time to tune into Summer League. I think does it start tonight or is it tomorrow? Ooh, I, I don't know, Dan. You've always been our Timberwolves uh, Summer League. Summer League yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you are you gonna be reporting for tip to tap from Vegas this year, Josh? Is that <laughs> you, you know I have family in Vegas, so I could Ooh. I could make the trip. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. With our uh I guess we have, yeah, we have a couple guys. We didn't get rid of uh, is it Spagnoli? Spicoli? Mm. <laughs> No, he's yeah, still on the know. team along with one no more. I want to see uh, who our summer league roster is this year. Yeah, here we go. See, <laughs> summer league correspondent. I mean, I already know this. Obviously. Are you delivering this from Vegas? I just want to double check uh, that all the guys that I expect to be on the summer league roster are on it. So here we go, Dan. You ready? Yep. It is Terrell Brown Jr. Brian. What if Bowen. it was Terrell Brandon Jr.? <laughs> but, but go on. Brian Bowen the second, not to be Whoa. confused with Bruce Bowen. Uh, Deontay Burton, George Condit, Melvin Frazier Jr., Kavon Harris, Matt Lewis, David McCormick, Josh Minot, Wendell Moore Jr. That mm. And Josh Minot is pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, well, it'll and, be exciting to see in and the summer. Being league. able to see Wendell Moore uh, in summer league is reason yeah. enough to tune in, I think. Mariel Shayok, Matteo Spagnolo, as you were referring yeah, to, yeah. Philip Wheeler, and Khalil Whitney. Good luck, gentlemen, and may you Actually, do us proud in the summer league. Where's Isaiah Miller and uh, and um, McKnight, uh, McKinley Wright? Uh, let's see. They're not on our summer league roster, I can tell you that. Isaiah I Miller? Hope- this is the most long and drawn out uh, close, <laughs> close? episode ever, but this is, this is going to be good for anyone that is about to watch Summer League and is listening to our podcast. It appears that it just says he's with that he's a guard for the Iowa Wolves. Um, it's just weird that you wouldn't send them there for development if they're expected to be with the organization longer term. Yeah, and then McKinley Wright the fourth is we let him go. Oh. He last played for the Timberwolves of the National Basketball Association on a two-way contract. Um that was without a whimper. I don't remember hearing that. Yeah, but he's a force at uh, he's a force at the Iowa Wolves. So interesting. He is from Champlin, Minnesota. Played. Yeah, yeah. No, he was a, a local and, kid. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I thought I was reading before this that uh, we did. Uh, he is currently a free agent, I believe. So that's um, okay. Anyway, but all right. So go Wolves, that, go that's... Iowa Wolves, go Timberwolves summer league team. And in general, go Wolves. <laughs> <laughs>